Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. You're listening to ED senior reporter Matt Mace here, and I'm just here to let you know that we're bringing you a rather different episode of the podcast this week. Um, I'm afraid I'm not joined by Luke, George or Sarah today, um, as we are taking you back to our sustainable supply chain event, which took place a month or so ago in central London. This podcast will bring you five exclusive interviews with delegates from the show, uh, conducted by myself and my colleague Sarah George. The interviews outline the key issues that sustainability professionals have to deal with when looking into their supply chains to uh, grow resilience, decarbonise actions and ensure that human rights and ethics are being adhered to. So without further ado, let's get on with this episode um, and I am now passing over to myself, or at least my past self, in central London. Enjoy. So um, I am joined right now by Dr Liz Wilkes, the European Director of Sustainability and Stakeholder Outreach uh, Asia Pulp and Paper and Lee Henderson, the European Director of Sustainability and Stakeholder Engagement at Asia Pulp and Paper. Uh, thank you both for agreeing to this uh, quick chat. I realise we're in a coffee break and I have deprived you from um, from coffee, so I will keep this brief. Um, I suppose my first question is just um, seeing the job titles listed on our agenda is, is what's, the, what's the difference in terms of engagement and outreach? How, how I imagine there's a lot of overlap in your jobs, but what's, what kind of separates them as well? Yeah. Um, Thanks very much, Matt, for having us. We've, uh, we've really enjoyed this morning's uh, session. We've learned a lot about many different companies, mm-hmm. how they're implementing the SDGs within their frameworks, but specifically answering the question about what our job roles are. Um, so I cover a lot of uh, technical issues, a lot of legislatory issues, voluntary certification, um, and I do a lot of work with uh, customers and customer outreach. Um, so that's really the fundamental focus of where my job is and what my role is, explaining about who Asia Pulp and Paper are, what we're doing, how, what we're working to on the ground, that kind of thing. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, hi, it's Dr. Wilkes. Mine's more about uh, looking at how we uh, communicate those things uh, around the globe, um, both uh, on the ground and the mechanisms that we can use, for example, the natural capital protocol, the landscape approach. Um, and how we can um, communicate that in sort of simple terms to both our supply chain and the media um, and stakeholders around the world. So, for example, in Europe we do a lot of work with the European Commission on uh, things like the, the PEF that's just been launched, the product's environmental footprint, and it's about overlaying how we uh, put our, mess- our commitments and messages in with that, and making that truly global, um, and then how we obviously uh, develop that in terms of our messaging both to clients and to stakeholders and to the media. Uh, so we essentially do overlap, sorry, so yeah, no, the middle, right. which, is, which is very important because it needs to be joined up. And the good thing is we've worked together for over 15 years, so eight, nine years we've both been together for Asia Pulp and Paper, but before this we worked together in France for the same company as well. Oh, that's great then, so you know, you know how each other work and Absolutely operate, it makes right. it streamlined. Okay, that's brilliant. And I think Asia Pulp and Paper are a really brilliant company to have at a supply chain conference um, for the sheer kind of challenge that's different to perhaps um, companies that operate solely in the UK for example um, not only um, having to operate in a a developing country where practices aren't as as far perhaps but also just the challenges associated with paper in regards to deforestation and it's really refreshing to see that you're not just um, rolling out an approach that's mitigating needs but you're actually encompassing and embedding the SDGs which is something we don't see uh, a lot of 
Um, and I, I suppose, and I've got a really kind of broad question, but I mean, how, how did how did APMP come to this decision that the SDGs was something that had to be embedded, not just in the company, but across its suppliers as well? I think, I think we'd already sort of mentioned a little bit that a lot of the things within the 17 SDGs we were already doing. Um, so it was in the case of sort of packaging that up and putting it together to allow us to be able to communicate and process that, if you like. And that's what helped us with the, with the SDGs, really. Um, we'd already had the forest conservation policy. We'd already looked at zero deforestation. But exactly as you, as you were saying, it's not just about risk mitigation. It's about moving forward and going above and beyond that. We talked about the, the work that we're doing with peatland management, for instance. There were no standards within peatland management looking at hydrology and how hydrology works within our areas and how we operate within the 2.6 million hectares. So we are working in the largest archipelago in the world, there's 17,000 islands. Um, it can be challenging for sure, but what the SDGs allow us to do is to put package that in effect into in, in one bow, if you like, to be able to then move that forward. And then in terms of the outreach, um, you know, we were doing quite a lot of things, but it's how do you message that internationally and is it recognised and we're talking the same language? And of course the SDGs then allow you to um, communicate that both um, vertically and horizontally in supply chain, so that you know on the, on the ground with the, with the stakeholder sort of advisory forum, making sure that on the ground um, those objectives are, are sort of meeting the requirements of those interested like communities, indigenous peoples, suppliers, other actors in the landscape, but then also, um, you know, translating that into uh, things that customers and the supply chain will really understand both you know our supply chain but also internationally and one of the key things is it I think it's part of a greater movement you know if we are going to make a difference in this world we have to do this together and we have to do it internationally and we have to all be speaking the same language and I think it's okay wherever you are in the world and whatever your impact is in terms of the SDGs provided that you're addressing them. So obviously we're going to have greater impact probably on greater SG, a number of SDGs than somebody, for example, in the UK, mm. Europe, America or wherever. But A, we all have our part to play. And B, if we're talking the same language, we all know what that is. And this is perfectly fine. So your example of a company in the UK, they might be producing here, but the chances are that their raw materials are somewhere else in the world. And I think the SDGs will allow us to track out that to think differently and to work together on, on addressing it. And, and do the SDGs also change the conversation? I think some companies are, uh, well some of the probably poorer performing companies in regards to supply chains are probably viewing it as a bit of a one-way street, like you, you do what we tell you, these are our standards, and there's less consideration on the actual suppliers, the actual people that work in these communities. The SDGs are our goals are, are aimed at helping and improving the lives of everyone. That's right. So, so for, for companies like APMP, does it help reframe the narrative to make it more of a, a conversation and less compliance, more how can we help yeah, you I mean, and your workers? As we said, you know, in our presentation, which hopefully you'll be able to download uh, <laughs> alongside this podcast, um, we, um, we, we had um, uh, stakeholder advisory forums on the ground to get that actually the, the local people and the local uh, suppliers and the people who are working in the landscape to make sure that their needs and requirements are addressed. But we also then put that out to our customers to say, these are the things that we're going to be doing and things that we're looking at. How does this align with your objectives? 
what we've actually seen at the moment, apart from probably a handful uh, of particular brands who are focused on sustainable livelihoods and things, most of the supply chain actually is looking at insurance and compliance. I think yeah. we've heard a lot about that this morning. This is fine, it has its place, it can be overlaid into the SDGs, but the SDGs are not a tick box, it is a different way of thinking. So you can have a, a, a tick box for procurement of certain raw materials, but the SDG will then will, will actually get you to think about it a bit differently, like, well, how many livelihoods are you actually contributing to? Have you improved the endangered species in the local area of that particular plantation or material sourcing? It's not just a case of is it sustainably sourced? Are you now adding value to the landscape that you're in? And this is where you're getting this wave of natural, you know, natural capital, social mm. capital is due to come out on consultation soon um, and be integrated into that. So this is where we're getting this movement. But we asked our customers also during this process to make sure that we were aligned, but what we actually found was there were only a few that were really looking at systemic change. That's, yeah, that's really uh, interesting stuff. It's great to see how the SDGs do kind of open up new conversations and new dialogues for, for these yeah, for these different types of thinking. Um, I do appreciate also that we are about to go for a session and I haven't let you do a bit of networking and grab a drink. So um, thank you both very much for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking thank to you. Thank you, Matt. We thank appreciate you. it. So um, now I am joined for the second uh, conversation of uh, the supply chain event by Aaron Reed, who is the um, head of sustainable procurement at Balfour Beefy, which raises an interesting question in itself, um, Aaron, which is um, head of sustainable procurement sounds like a nice kind of cross divide between what are potentially two uh, siloed departments. So, so what, where do you sit? Is it in the sustainability department? Is it procurement department, or are they both just? fully kind of embedded themselves in each other now. So I, I sit as part of the procurement function, mm. so I report into the um, procurement director within Balfour Beatty, but obviously work very closely with um, the sustainability function. And to be honest, probably act as a conduit between the two. Um, there's a real recognition in our business that, um, I think as I said this morning, most of the sustainability risks and opportunities in our business actually sit within our supply chain. And so opening the door to our supply chain and the procurement function to the sustainability colleagues has been something which they've, they've really welcomed. And so, um, yeah, so I, I sit within procurement, but work very closely with the sustainability colleagues. And, and how, how long has that kind of operation been in place? Um, you know, has that always been a job role of BTs? It's a relatively new new role that, they, that came about because of sustainability started becoming more important to the business? Yeah, I, I, th I think so. And there was that, that kind of moment of realisation that actually, you know, we're, we're spending all this money, all this time, all this attention focusing on our own direct impacts around sustainability. But actually, there's more going on, more risk, more opportunity sat within the supply chain. And so um, my role um, came into being about 2014, so about four years ago. Okay. Um, now it feels so much longer. Um, but um, yeah, we've, we've been doing sustainable procurement um, for, a for a little bit before that, but never really had a dedicated role um, to look at it. And now we've, I've got a kind of team of two others um, working across the business um, and facilitating engagement with procurement and supply chain people. And so um, you are, you're obviously speaking on the uh, morning session today uh, kind of about the ISO uh, 2400 mm -hmm. um, procurement assessment, uh, assessment. You're the first, um, first in, is it globally, I believe? First or? in the world. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, um, which, is a, which is a fascinating story. As you mentioned, it wasn't just uh, the headlines and the publicity you got from it as well, but you, you felt it was a, a kind of inherent need for the company to, to essentially highlight a few issues that you still need to kind of kind of work on so how, how did that discussion take place and when did you get to the decision that actually 
um, we need this kind of guidance framework to, to just open our eyes to stuff we haven't even seen yet. To, to be honest, it's probably more good timing because we were um, uh, about to review our strategy and our policy that we'd had for a couple of years and looking for you know what are the next steps that we need to take, where are the areas we need to focus in on. And so the ISO 2400 framework came about at almost exactly the same time and it just seemed like an obvious thing to do in terms of getting an objective assessment about where we were and what are the steps we'd, we'd need to take to, to improve. And so um, more to do with good timing than, than anything else, but it's nice to have that objectivity of an internationally recognised best, uh, best practice standard to, um, to compare ourselves against. Of course, and I suppose then, um, for, for a company like Balfour Beatty, what, what are the kind of key issues that, that kind of materialised during the assessment process that are now kind of crucial for you to act on and embed sustainably? Um, there's, there's a lot about um, commercial engagement and making sure that, that everybody in the business who has a responsibility for procurement is engaged in our sustainable procurement activity, um, uh, training and capability uh, buildings. There's a lot about that. Um, there's a lot about visible leadership. Um, it was very apparent that um, you know, there is a tendency when you have a sustainable procurement manager, I suppose, to kind of everything around that subject to be spoken by me. And actually, there's a need for other people in the business to be seen visibly inside and outside of the business talking about um, mm. sustainable procurement. And so we've, we've got a big focus on that now, bringing other senior leaders through who, who have an opinion, who have a lot to do with it, but didn't always get the opportunity to be to be seen speaking on the subject or now more visible. So that, that was um, uh, another thing. There was things around... Um, we have a number of different business units across our business and they're all unique and different in their own ways. Mm. And so we needed to make sure that as much as we want a, a common approach across the business, we certainly needed to tailor more um, for the, the specific needs of the individual business and prioritise accordingly. Because what might be a priority for one business unit might not necessarily be a priority or, or the same level of priority for another business. And so we've developed kind of separate um, uh, sustainable procurement action plans for each of the, the, the business units. And so that was another another interesting thing. That's really great. And it sounds like sustainability is really starting to... Or, or is embedded across the entirety of the, uh, of the business. Um, but for some of our, our listeners who are perhaps... Uh, working for companies that are less developed than the sustainable action plans, what, what kind of advice would you give them to start? You know, maybe they get to the point where they have a sustainable procurement uh, director in or sustainable finance or all kind of reach out cross, cross um, brands and cross arms of the business. Um, I, I think that the, the ISO 2400 is a great place to start mm -hmm. because even if you think you're nowhere, um, it will tell you precisely how close to know where you are okay. and also then make recommendations about the, the next steps to take um, and so simply I think that would be the, the, the best thing but also I think the exercise we did around drivers and in engaging with relevant stakeholders across the business to understand if and how this is and why sorry this is a priority for your business is it because your clients are asking is it because your, your, uh, your clients and your customers are asking is it because your um, your employees are, are, are keen on this is it kind of the legislative driver is it the cost cutting I think it's important to understand what your business case is and why you you want to do this or why you need to do this because then you will do the things which are relevant to your business as opposed to kind of go down a tick list of things which might be relevant to, to others and so you know in our case we are much clearer now about why we're doing this and who it's important to 
um, and that's helped to shape our approach. So I think those those two things definitely have a look at the ISO standard as a as a framework, but also I think be clear on your business case and take the time to do that prioritisation exercise to look at why this is important to to your business. Okay, nice. It sounds like a real nice mix of passion and purpose, essentially. Um, Aaron, I appreciate that I have kind of kept you from uh, the the next sessions and that they are currently going on. I'm also aware that a bunch of guys have kind of shown up with caution signs that we might have to move anyway. So thank you very much for your time. No worries. Thank you. Okay, so right now we are midway through our sustainable supply chain conference and I am joined by Elaine Mumu, who is the Global Director of Supply Development and Sustainability at Asco Nobel. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Glad to be at the, uh, at the EDI, uh, EDI uh, conference. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, definitely been a really busy morning, lots, yeah. of, di- lots of discussion and lots yeah. of questions going yeah. on. Um, could you just give us a bit of an insight into, I know your, your speech covered a lot about sort of building the business case for integrating sustainability within not just your um, frontline operations, but throughout your supply chain as well. Um, could you maybe tell us a bit about why your um, company sees that as so important? Yeah, so, um, so um, in, um, first of all, I would like to mention that uh, um, I took over the positions in, uh, in September last year. Mm. Okay? That was a, a brand new department that was created in the procurement teams, uh, looking at what we call supply development. Uh, we look at supply developments only on not only on sustainability, but also looking at how we can develop quality with suppliers, how we develop uh, del- uh, OT, uh, uh, delivery performance, uh, uh, costs, uh, cost improvements, uh, innovation, and sustainability. So I was brought that because I had a good experience in sustainability. Okay, and then um, and then now we are building also the teams for the other elements of these uh, of uh, this uh, this new function. So, um, the, the approach we have on sustainability uh, has got, I would say, um, um, uh, twofold. Uh, one is about um, um, we want to uh, make um, our sustainability agenda with supplies very operational. Right. Okay. So, um, of course, uh, the organization has. Uh, high visions about sustainability. We have been performing well on Dow Jones sustainability for the last 10 years. So we have a uh, very high view uh, about uh, how run a, uh, we run sustainability. Uh, but our new CEO now uh, wants to, uh, um, is, is, still, is still motivated by sustainability, but he wants to know how it drives uh, business uh, uh, growth. Okay, so so we have to translate the sustainability now to uh, business growth and business opportunity. So uh, that's why this uh, this programs, which we started uh, in 2016, which is the way we monitor and measure the sustainability uh, developments with our uh, suppliers, um, have evolved uh, uh, in, in these new versions where we have included in our scorecard. Uh, the uh, elements on what the suppliers are doing internally to improve their uh, their sustainability, and as I said today, we measure the performance according to six uh, criterias, and uh, those criterias normally, if they are performing well by reducing their waste, energy, uh, and uh, and uh, water and recycle uh, materials, this will eventually bring, um, uh, I would say. Uh, of course, improve sustainability, but also bring at the same time costs 
uh, cost reduction that we want to integrate in the, in the products that we purchase from those suppliers. So it's all about linking uh, sustainability to um, uh, business growth. Mm -hmm. So like I said, sustainability is business, business is also sustainability. Mm. So uh, that's what we're doing. So it's make it very operational. Um, we have, uh, we have um, like I said, developed the tools. Now we are implementing that tools with the suppliers. We have specific objectives about performance. We also work with our suppliers because uh, they need support. Uh, because large company, uh, they don't really need support. But when we talk about smaller company or we go in country like uh, Thailand or Vietnam or um, Indonesia or even China, I mean, they need our supports for, mm. uh, uh, let's say, to develop and, and, and support. Uh, they need support to develop their their own sustainability agenda, but also they need support to, uh, let's say, participate to the improvement of our own agenda mm. on sustainability. Yeah. And I know you mentioned that your process sort of, it's moving away from simply monitoring and vetting um, so suppliers and moving forward to not just meeting the standard, but then innovating and improving on it further. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so at this point in the sort of development of, I'd say, the new new department or the 2016 scheme, what's going to happen going forward in ways of the innovation yeah. improvement sphere? Yeah. So this is a um, <clears throat> this is a um, again in our new version of the SSBS. This is a, a new area of exploring with our suppliers. Um, I would say that uh, what we're doing now is that uh, um, when we look at the different product groups we have in our organizations, for each product groups, uh, they are doing uh, with suppliers um, innovation project. Okay, uh, those innovation project um, are related to uh, improving the performance in the paints or. Um, giving to the paints new functionality that we don't have today. Mm -hmm. But those projects also have a link sometimes, not all of them, but some of them have a links also on sustainability. Okay, So it could be an introduction of a renewable materials. Okay. It could be, uh, let's say, we, um, we, we use a, a new materials, but we use less quantity of these materials. Or this material allowed us to take another products in the paint that has a higher carbon footprint. So what we are doing now with the, uh, the, the category uh, manager uh, of the different uh, category group that we have, uh, product groups, we're working with them to look at what are those projects okay, that also have an impact on sustainability. Mm -hmm. So we want to recognize that and we want to uh, give credit to the suppliers for, for those. And of course, we're looking also at other idea okay, in sustainability that we can, uh, we can also implement with the suppliers. So this is starting, this is, in color, it, it, this is uh, I would say, this baby born now, which is uh, starting to work with that. And, um, we have already identified some project. We have realized also that we have launched some project that have an impact on sustainability, but we never measure it. So now at least uh, we, we are taking the steps to, uh, with the suppliers to measure the impact on sustainability. And of course, we score the suppliers for this uh, and we reward the suppliers for this, uh, for this uh, proposal. Mm. It does seem like we're entering a time now where more and yeah. more big companies are sort of launching um, interrogations, if you will, into their own supply chains rather than just looking at their mm. front facing. And I know you referred to the project as your baby, <laughs> um, yeah. but um, I'm aware you've been with the firm for a decade now, as yeah. my question was. Um, I know it's a new project um, and that a lot a new of new department, new yeah. department, um, yeah. and that yeah. a lot of 
um, big name businesses are now starting to interrogate their supply chains in the same yeah. way. Yeah. Um, but I'm aware that you have been working in the field for 10, ten years, is that right? Well, I mean, uh, before doing this, I was a, a group manager, a category manager, okay, uh, a global uh, category uh, director, I would say. And I was responsible for three years on solvents, and then I was responsible for another product, a category of product called latex and monomers. And uh, at that time, has been always, let's say, um, uh, it has been a kind of a hobby for me, you know, to explore sustainability with my suppliers. But as we go along over the lows, those years, you know, it becomes more uh, evidence to Exxon Nobel that it has to be stopped to be an hobby, and it has to be business okay mm -hmm. so uh, yes we are starting but it doesn't mean that uh, there was a lot of I mean this SSBS was existing since 2015-16 so we just took over and then mm -hmm. we made a new versions now which is more so uh, so yes I've been kind of uh, being sustainability for a while as a hobby because I was passionate by it but now when they make this uh, proposal for this new department I just raised my hand and I, and I took over the jobs yeah. Yeah. Great to finish on a positive note. Okay. I'm aware that the afternoon sessions are just about to begin in here and in the main centre, so I will let Elaine go. Thank you very much, Pleasure uh, Sarah. Pleasure speaking to okay, you. Okay, thank you, Sarah. So it's now uh, lunchtime at the event, and um, so I have to apologise first to Katie Leggett, the Ethical Trade and Sustainability Officer at Nissan Drinks, because I have just uh, pulled you kind of mid-mill, essentially, to come have a quick uh, chat. So thank you very much for that, firstly. No um, so I suppose a good question to start is you're, you haven't presented yet, you're about to, but um, in terms of the morning session so far, is there anything that's particularly kind of caught your interest that you were glad you came along, essentially? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really great for me um, to hear a little bit about what other companies are doing to manage complex supply chains because I think we all know that that's an issue but uh, when it comes to actual practical steps of managing supply chains that are increasingly complex and especially as your business grows it's great to see what some of the bigger, more established organisations are doing. I mean, Innocent's been around for 19 years now, but in relative terms, compared to some of the other businesses that are here, we're still relatively mm. small, which makes it a lot more easy for us, I suppose, to manage those supply chains at the moment. But as we grow and become more complex and bring up new product lines and new different formulations and recipes, um, that changes and it becomes more difficult to manage. So really interesting to hear what some of the bigger organisations are doing. And you mentioned that your supply chain is, is I suppose, relatively easy in the sense that it's still in its infancy as, as a business um, but I imagine it's quite global in, in scope a lot of kind of exotic fruits being being managed traced etc so what, what are the kind of what does the landscape uh, for instance look like in terms of suppliers and uh, what's in place to to ensure that sustainability and, and social aspects are considered yeah absolutely good question so our, the landscape looks, I'd say we've got approximately 50% of our supplier network within the European context mm -hmm. and then 50% outside, as you rightly point out, quite a lot of our ingredients, so think pineapples, bananas, coconuts, those have to come from tropical regions, we can't grow them, especially here in the UK. But what we're all doing in terms of sustainability across the board is making sure, I suppose there are a few different branches. So the first is that we want to make sure that all of our suppliers meet international sustainability standards and that's from our smallest suppliers like Baobab up to our big suppliers like Bananas um, and then even through to the people that blend um, and pack our products for us um, and those are obviously all based um, closer to home so mm -hmm. they're all European based. So there's that kind of piece which 
centers a lot around um, auditing that's kind of that minimum baseline but then also thinking if we know that these are our minimum standards for auditing what's the next step so I'll be talking this afternoon about our human rights policy and what we're doing to go beyond audit on human rights and really taking a very personal approach on human rights issues so we know slavery is an issue we know child labor is an issue how do we focus rather than on a business risk approach where we just say let's not buy from areas where this is an issue Definitely. but actually how do we positively impact people that may be affected in supply chains ours or others so I think on human rights that's what we do then we work with the sustainable agriculture initiative to get down to farm level um, with all of our suppliers as I said very complex um, even in our supply chains um, but how do we get down to those levels and talk to them not only about the social side so human rights but also about how they're managing agriculture chemical use water use and all of that kind of stuff so I think there's the two kind of prong approach at the kind of minimum standards level and then we've got the stuff that we do that's what we're calling our protected futures so how do we protect the futures of our supply chain but also the planet so looking into things like how do we have a positive impact on climate change through reducing the impact of our packaging um, helping farmers to reduce the impact of um, carbon in their operations um, and then also we're investing a lot of money in agricultural projects where we know that there's an endemic issue in the region. So we've had a strawberry project in Spain which has looked at water use in strawberries um, and how that's conflicting with national parks and that's now kind of a multi-stakeholder collaboration where lots of other businesses are involved in what that might look like. It sounds like a real a kind of cocktail, probably fruity cocktail as well, <laughs> of, uh, of, of Kind of mega trends that are kind of embedding themselves mm. into your supply chain by the sounds of it. You've got the the stuff that's probably a bit closer to the home, the kind of consumer concerns about packaging mm -hmm. are probably quite relevant. So that's one area. And then also, you know, climate change in relation to the UK is quite hard for some people to grasp. Mm -hmm. They don't they don't see it. But yeah. in relation to to kind of fruit farmers and produce globally, that's a that's a real key mitigation uh, impact for you. Do do you, do you find that consumers um, and perhaps even internal staff are more engaged on certain aspects of supply chain management and in a sense wider CSR stuff compared to stuff like you know stakeholder farmer well-being or so that is a good question so definitely internally at innocent it's very hard to talk about things like climate change as you rightly point out what does that mean what's mm. the scope of that whereas plastics are um, very visible as an issue so it's uh, yeah from a consumer and, a, and an internal perspective that's an easy thing to grasp um, what we do internally at Innocent is very much talk about doing our bit as a company to have an impact on climate change and to make sure that we're keeping climate change below two degrees and as people have actually talked about here this morning we're working towards science-based targets on climate change okay, good to know. Um, and one of the things that that means is we're going to have to engage along our supply chain mm. but also when we're talking internally we say this is what we're doing we're, we're doing science-based targets as a business but how do we make that personal for you so what can you do as an individual on climate change so if you look on the blogs on our website we're talking we've created this sustainability alphabet which was actually created by Gabby who works in our creative okay. team and it's basically some steps um, each one related to a different letter of the alphabet that you can take to have an impact a positive impact on your carbon footprint so I think there's always the dual aspect when you're talking about those kind of issues it's about here's what it means for us as a business and our supply chain but then let's make it real for you what are the things that you can do we've, we've done stuff with um, Innocent in the past there's a feature up on our website about that internal um, aspect the kind of sustainable ambassadors mm -hmm. the way you embed into into job roles and it sounds like as you 
as the supply chain becomes more of a, a dialect rather than a, than a compliance aspect, um, it sounds like it, there's a, a possibility to embed kind of some of these ambassadors mm. externally as well. Mm -hmm. is, is that kind of a, a vision you'd like to see? Or? Oh, absolutely. That's a great idea. I love that. Um, I think one way that we do do that already is with our very strategic suppliers and making sure that we put the onus back on them. Like, this isn't this isn't a one-way conversation, this isn't innocent going to a supplier and saying we're going to change this, we're going to do this. It always has to be about collaboration and about a two-way conversation. That sounds so glib, but that's really what yeah. it is about. And I think importantly, anyway, taking some of the information from yeah, our no suppliers and coming back and saying, right, now these are the issues that they've got, how do we help them to have a positive impact on certain areas. Um, but also, so when we think about things like human rights, um, it's about getting boots on the ground, it's about sending innocent people out mm. to see what's going on. It's about training all of our employees to know what we're talking about on human rights so that when they see something they can say, is that a flag, yes or no? And actually knowing that the right people to go to to talk about those kind of things. Um, so yeah, I think definitely it would be great to build those ambassadors within our supply chain and actually, not only would it be great, but I think it's probably a key part of having a positive impact on sustainability, human rights, whatever you're talking about. I don't think you can do that, even probably from a quality perspective. Mm, I'm not an yeah. expert on quality, but I'm sure that that's the case with all of the things that we'd be talking about when you're working with suppliers. Good to know, and I'll, I'll make sure I get full credit for, for that idea when it eventually <laughs> becomes uh, embedded. Have Katie, um, I realised before we start recording, I was bigging up the apple crumble, and, mm. and uh, <laughs> I appreciate that... Um, this is lunch and that you probably do want to go off and network and, and have a bite to eat. So thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure. No problem. So we are coming to the end of our afternoon sessions here in London at the Sustainability Supply Chain um, Conference. Um, I am joined on the sofa by Dr. Rosie Cole, um, who is the direct, um, deputy director sorry, for the Centre for Sustainable Enterprise Management at Surrey Business School. Um, which is based at the University of Surrey. Fantastic. Um, she's been chairing the sessions today. Um, so how have you been finding it so far? It's really great to be invited back to chair again. Um, we've got uh, a quite a different group this year. So we, there's some familiar faces. And there's also a lot of people that seem new to ED and working with ED, and that's great. Um, it's gone very well. We've got a new format this year. so. Uh, lots of very informative sessions this morning and then breakouts this afternoon. Mm. One thing that I really like, I noticed that at breakfast there's lots of people standing on their own just for those first five minutes. By the first break everybody's talking to everybody. Um, obviously name badges play a good part but there are some really key companies here that are doing trailblazing work mm. and as soon as you sort of realise who those are there are so many questions you can ask them. Mm. And just to give listeners who weren't able to make it along a sort of flavour of what's going on, what are some of the hot topics of these discussions are you finding? Lots of hot topics this year, so we've got supplier development and going beyond compliance um, and how you know it might be burdensome for some suppliers to meet certain corrective action reports, um, but how do large buyers um, or buyers that want certain things support those suppliers. We've had a discussion on blockchain this year, uh, some people think it's hype and a buzzword, you know, and we're... we're uh, there's some work to do with blockchain, but ultimately um, I personally am a big supporter of it in terms of supply chain provenance, and I think that will get bigger as time goes on. Modern slavery is a hot topic this year. We've had one year since the first statements have come out. 
and so lots of people are thinking about it and there needs a lot more work done around what the, what should be on those statements because at the moment they're not very homogenous from different companies but potentially why should they be we're very heavy on the social side this year last year the conference was called responsible purchasing this year um, it's sustainable supply chains but we're still quite focused on purchasing which is really great because sustainable sourcing is so important um, there's a lot of media and communications questions this year, especially focused with Primark and M&S right. and how do they deal with a lot of the, um, the media attention they get. Um, and one of the questions I particularly liked was what keeps you awake at night when it comes to sustainable supply chains. So any panel could get that question. That's they, a tough one. Absolutely. They all answered it really well. Um, and we always focus on lots of different sectors at the big ED conference. Um, and it was no different this year. So if you ask a panel that question, you get lots of different responses. Mm. And then just seeing, so we are seeing a trend towards more and more companies sort of disclosing about their supply chains, really interrogating them after looking at their frontline operations, mm -hmm. um, probably as new laws and higher standards come into play, as well as sort of action within the corporate sphere. Um, so we're seeing, as you mentioned, a lot of big name brands going past compliance and into um, into sort of improvement and innovation, yeah. um, but you obviously work in the education sector, so what role does education play in sort of making that shift, going one step further? Mm -hmm. So um, we research into uh, these areas and um, the focus that suppliers need, but we research into things um, like the theory behind the power, for example, and brand influence. So we come to Edie because there's yes, lots speaking. of practical um, information to be gained on what's happening in reality but ultimately there's quite a lot of power paradigms around um, you know the the options that suppliers have to take um, and uh, how buyers can use some of that power for good so in education we do a lot of executive education we teach the MBA um, so ultimately we're dealing with people on the ground but we, we educate them through the MBA and through executive education um, in this area that they might not necessarily get to learn about at work or in their day-to-day -day lives. Um, and then just bringing it back to sort of different form of education in the form of this conference, so what have been some of your key takeaways from the day just for people who may not have been able to pop along themselves? Mm -hmm. um, one of the key takeaways is just still around multi-tiered networks, the, the, sh the shadow supplier, the subcontracting. Um, we really need to get a handle on this and it won't surprise us to know that that's why blockchain came up in some of the Slido polls. Um, the polls are really interesting actually, Sarah, as we talk about some of the key takeaways today because people said that their objective today um, was to find out what other companies are doing, which always makes you think perhaps um, it's a real opportunity for people at work to take a day away from the office, come to this conference um, and meet people either in their sector or in a different sector that are doing something that they wouldn't necessarily know about. Um, everybody's happy to share when it comes to sustainability, we're all fighting for the same goal and so it's a great conference to be at. All right, well that's Rosie there summing up what has been um, a really insightful day of, as you say, open discussion and improved and more innovative mindset among businesses about interrogating supply chains. So thank you for joining me this afternoon. Thanks, Sarah. And so there you have it. I hope you have enjoyed this uh, episode of the Sustainable Business Covered podcast from London and from our supply chain event. Um, a reminder, of course, that these episodes can be downloaded via iTunes. Uh, they are now available on Spotify and can also be accessed via the ED website. Just search Sustainable Business Covered Podcast. 
And we'll be back soon with a special green room interview featuring uh, Ramon Arashia, formerly of Interface and now the sustainability director at Ball Packaging. And then after that, no doubt, you'll be able to listen to the dulcet tones of Luke Nichols, George Ogilvy, Sarah George and myself as we go back to the studio for the next episode of the podcast. But for now, goodbye.